So now, of course, it's the beginning of October, but let me finish my few words about the time I spent in Iraq. And I want to tell you about a few views that were expressed to me. I was speaking to Lieutenant General Abdul Amir Yarallah, Chief of Staff of the Iraq Army. And what he wanted to emphasize particularly is that all the Iraq armed forces, whether they be Hashtar Shabi militia or Iraq army, they needed one leadership and they all theoretically answered to one leader in the prime minister, but that single leadership was vital. And there was another thing he said that seemed to interest me anyway. He said that no paramilitary force should operate outside of Iraq's borders. That's uh, talking about the Heshtar Shabi, the militia, who are operating quite frequently in Syria. What are they trying to do? They're trying to secure the border from Syria into Iraq. But Abdul Amir didn't really endorse that. Well, he recognized that the paramilitary forces are not bound by national borders. So that, I felt, was interesting. That was what he said to me when we were on this panel together. Now, also with me on this platform at this time was Adnan Al-Fayan, the MP who represents Kaysal Ghazali's group, the political wing of Kaysal Ghazali's quite extreme, well, I would say extreme, Eshtar Shabi group. And he said the, the paramilitary force is an official force. The paramilitary forces do not have any headquarters outside of Iraq which is a curiosity, because clearly the Heshtar Shabi have been operating in Syria, if only near the border. And then he swung around and addressed me directly, and said very firmly, in regard to my criticisms of the Heshtar Shabi, look, I'm talking about reality here. We are dealing with a military force. And yes, there are mistakes, and we are trying to address these mistakes. We are taking a political approach now. Do we exploit the paramilitary force as a political propaganda group for election? No, not unless you say everybody exploits these groups. Why should you focus on the paramilitary force? When we speak about the paramilitary force, we should take into account the current Iraq reality. There are factions that say we are the ones that target U.S. troops. However, are there factions of the Heisht el-Shabi in Syria? Are there paramilitary forces of Iraq in Syria? No, there are not. And then Ahmed al-Saidi picked up where he'd left off. Ahmed is the official spokesman of the paramilitary forces, their political wing. And he said, we are ready to clarify things. The paramilitary force is an official institution and is part of the armed forces, which is a view. And then the Kurdish general, who was also sitting there, he had something to say. General Jabba Yawar, Secretary General of the KRG's, the Kurdish Regional Government's Ministry of Peshmerga, charming older man, 
and he he said there were there were political motives behind the formation of the paramilitary forces in Iraq but after the paramilitary forces were given legal status in law it's now clear that these forces must not go against the constitution and there is no proper law formulated for the operation of the intelligence forces or the ministry of defense so the constitution has to be our constitution of iraq has to be our bottom line however we are united in one joint fight against those who have a doctrine that works against all we believe in and he is, he, he's referring of course to Daesh ISIS so I was getting this kind of response and this kind of reaction and I asked therefore to meet the head of the Heshtel Shabi now the the head of the Heshtel Shabi the head of the Badr Brigade the overall boss the chief militia commander in Iraq is of course Hadi al-Amri I always think of him as dark eyes. He's a, a sweet man, very charming, quite gracious. And yeah, he agreed to meet. And he met me and the uh, gentleman who took me to him, Haithamullah Husseini, and I met Hadi al-Amri in his, I guess his home. Very nice home, actually, but he had a great majlis there, a great uh, meeting room. Well, you'd need to if you were a military commander, wouldn't you? Uh, he's his Baghdad home, at least. And I, I said to him, I, I said, Iraq needs these erections. Iraq needs a stable government. There have been opportunities of this kind in the past, but they've been squandered. And we need a kind of government that serves the people of Iraq as a whole, rather than the Sunni or the Shiite or the Kurd factions. And I, I actually mentioned the formula of government that was presented but never taken up during Maliki's second term because he was given the offer, the chance to have a kind of dual administration in which Iyad Alawi would have taken on the leadership of a security council to handle military matters whilst he handled the premiership. He found that unsatisfactory and the suggestion never came to fruition. However, I said that I said that, that model was particularly interesting because I feel it is. It's a way of bringing the Heshto Shabi back under under proper military command but i mean it begs the question of course how you get support for such a approach uh, in theory that approach was backed by the entire international community and it never got anywhere because maliki said no at that time he felt it was more appropriate to avoid dividing the leadership of iraq in that way and i also said rightly or wrongly that i felt it was vital to have somebody who represented the sunni community in the governing coalition. I mean, obviously that could be Halbusi's, uh, the speakers, the young speaker of parliament, his factions, or it could be someone from the past, like uh, Irlawi, who, though not a Sunni himself, is respected by the Sunni, but we need a kind of uh, governing coalition that gains Kurdish support and Sunni support and Shiite support, not an exclusively Shiite governing coalition, I would say. And I said that to Hadi. And I said, we need this kind of stability. And I said, we need to get the disparate elements who are attacking U.S. interests in Iraq under control in the new year so that we have a more stable Iraq. And I said to him, you know, you have a role. The key leaders in Iraq have a role. Some say history makes men. Others say that men make history. But uh, now is the time for a new beginning 
for Iraq. And now what did he say? Well, he said, when the demonstrations took place in 2019, we acknowledged the issues the demonstrators felt concerned about, some of which related to the existing constitution of Iraq. We were forced, this is how the alarmery is speaking to me, we were forced to form a new government and to call for early elections. This of itself is not so remarkable. Indeed, the same sort of thing has happened in other countries. The parliament becomes incapable of forming a new government, so early elections have to be held. After the collapse of the government of Abdul, Abdul Mahdi, the main task at hand became the calling of early elections. However, we believe there was interference from the ambassadors of foreign governments who were playing games to delay the elections. That's why we insisted on the date of 10th October and insisted that that had to happen. We don't want dictatorships. We believe in a parliamentary system. So we are interested in clean elections. International observers will lead us to have confidence in these elections. Do we need a strong man or a strong system? Hitler was a strong man who ruled Germany. When he waved his hand to stand up, people stood up. He ruled. In Britain, you have democracy. You defeated Hitler and his powers. I hope for the same for Iraq with a strong political system. The problems in Iraq, number one, foreign occupation. Number two, the blind terrorism we see. Number three, the lack of confidence between Iraq and Iraq's various components. The Kurds want a new system that will not repeat the past. The Shiites suffered slaughter. They do both want protection. That's why we need to build up this confidence. Ali ibn Talib, he's talking about the great medieval philosopher, says arrogance is oppressing others. The arrogant is weak, not strong. I believe strongly in having all the armed groups in Iraq under the protection of the government. And human rights should be absolute rights. This includes the right to freedom of expression by the media. Here in Iraq, every political group has a TV channel. There has been some expansion in the powers of the prime minister. I believe that all should respect the constitution. There is a consensus that there should be no strong prime minister. It's difficult appointing a prime minister. To get someone to be a prime minister, he needs approval of the Marja'iya, the clerics, of Iran, of America, and of the political forces. It's an important point there. To be Prime Minister of Iraq, you need approval of the Marja'iya, you need approval of the government of Iran, you need approval from the government of America, and you need approval from the political forces in Iraq. And he, he said in conclusion, we need a Prime Minister that can represent the interests of all Iraq for the stability of Iraq. And that's why we need a good leader. Uh, interesting. He also said at one point earlier, when I was with him and a couple of others were present, let's blame ourselves for our faults. Ali ibn Talib said, whoever apologizes is a gracious man. So that was Hadi al-Amri. There weren't many more meetings during my time in Iraq, but I did meet the uh, head of the National Security Agency. Is that Iraq's secret service? Not exactly, because Iraq has a multitude of secret services, but it is it is one of the more important, I suppose, secret service groups. And his name is Qasem al-Araji. And I discussed the idea of this 
dual approach, this, this idea that had been put forward at the time of Maliki too, the idea that you would have a chief executive, as it were, for the armed forces alongside the prime minister. Yeah, he said, it's something we've been looking at, we've been thinking about it, it's something we're considering. So I can see that there is room or scope for that approach, and there is a need to bring the Heistro Shabi under one umbrella group. That was the time when we were talking about Afghanistan. This isn't strictly relevant, but it, it's one of the few things I guess he said in this context that I can quote, which is, uh, we think there's no comparison between the Afghan experience and our experience, but we worry that a resurgent Afghanistan may become a haven for terrorism. And he talked a little about the Iraq situation. And from him, I went to a very lovely man, uh, really a man that really touched me as a deep thinker and somebody I, I had a lot of time for. And this was the head of the only really remaining faction of what used to be called Iski. I know we've got Amr al-Hakim, the, uh, the traditional Iski head, but Iski is fragmented and fragmented. And the old Majlis uh, group now only has a couple of MPs. It's a small group run by this very lovely sheikh, Oman Hamoudi. And I met him in a, in a little, fairly humble, modest office in, in Baghdad, and a few of his people round and about, chatting very informally. And he said to me, we were hoping the demonstrators would stand firm, but many withdrew. And in the end, there were very few left. But there is a general environment of hope. One of our problems here in Iraq is that people look to the leader rather than the system. It's a problem common to all the Arab world. Look at Tunisia today. But in Iraq, we now have a vision for reform, so we need to understand what that vision is. And some of us think that the problem is in the political structure of Iraq. Others think that it's the bad performance of individuals. So it's kind of two different visions here. And Barham Saleh, the president of Iraq, presents the whole situation as a, a need for a new contract between the people and the government. But that takes us nowhere. It doesn't actually bring about any result. It doesn't show us a way forward. If we can find a unified vision for Iraq, this is the path that we need to identify and take. You look around now and you'll see the very, the very people who are the corrupt ones, the corrupted people, are talking of reforming themselves. Here in Iraq, we have two main challenges. One is the economy. The other is having a firm administrative system. If we can find a strong man who has the right vision, sure, we need pressure on parliament and government to achieve these goals, and it may take a strong man to do it. It's a path we've taken before. Um, I mentioned to him the, um, the something that, I mean, this is going off at a tangent, but I mentioned that the constitution of Iraq had never been fully implemented. For instance, Iraq was supposed to have a bicameral system with a kind of upper house, a house of lords or whatever, and a lower house, and the upper house has never been established, despite the fact that it's provided for and expected in the constitution of Iraq. And he said, sure, yes, this has existed uh, in the Constitution. And we actually, he said, at Iski, provided a suggestion that was not going to cost anything to do it. But the heads of state, the speakers and their deputies seemed 
reluctant. Anyway, he suggested that there should be representatives in the upper house from the governor. It's two from each and double that from Baghdad. That would come to about 60. And they should be given no salaries because they already have their own pensions, but just given, given an attendance allowance and that that would be good. But our suggestion never got taken up, he said. I guess there were disturbing events and economic difficulties and they didn't want to make things more complicated. I talked to him about the Heisht al-Shabi and yes, he said this is becoming too militarized a state and it had been the vision of Abdul Abdul Mahdi to try, one of the ex-premiers, to try and bring the Heisht al-Shabi under the wing of governance. And he said the Haste should protect all of Iraq. And he reminded me that there are armed groups outside the Haste al-Shabi, outside the paramilitary forces, and that they are a problem. Uh, they carry arms, but they have no genuine pretext for doing so. And I expressed some concern about Turkish expansionism, and he agreed. He said the old Lausanne agreement that applies to Iraq ends after a hundred years. That took Mosul and away from Turkey and gave them Iskanderon in Syria. And yeah, he said, uh, you have to watch out. Well, I think you have to watch out for Turkey. But he's a dear, dear man. I have a lot of respect for him. And he was my final meeting, Sheikh Haman Hamoudi. Actually, he, uh, he heard my dear wife, Veronica, had multiple sclerosis. And he gave me a lovely little rug to take home to her from him, a kind of beautifully woven little rug of uh, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. I, I genuinely liked him, nice guy. So there you are, that's my report on my time in Iraq. It's a bit of a long one, but there you have it. And Iraq now is about to enter those long hoped for, fought for elections. And what will they bring? Well, let's hope they, they bring a better tomorrow. Thank you.